Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Employment Matters podcast, brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the world. I'm your host, Holly Goodman, shareholder with Gunster in South Florida. On this program, we span the globe and receive updates on critical issues from ELA members in each region. On today's episode, we'll be discussing a new development in California related to its Private Attorneys General Act with a focus on its impact on employee arbitration agreements and class action waivers. Joining us on the program is Dan Hanman, partner at Hirschfeld Kramer in California. Dan, welcome. We are delighted to have you today. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Holly. Good to be with you. So Dan, let's jump right in. For those who are not from California or who might not be familiar with the Private Attorneys General Act, which we sometimes call PAGA. Can you tell us what exactly is this act about? Sure. So in 2005, the legislature in California decided that there were a number of penalties that the Department of Labor could be assessing for various violations of the state's labor code that they weren't getting around to assessing because, frankly, they were just severely understaffed. And so what they did was they passed this law called PAGA, the Private Attorneys General Act. It was actually 2004. And what the law did was it deputized individual workers to bring claims on behalf of the state to recover penalties. And the way they incentivized the workers to do that was by offering them a cut of whatever was recovered. So workers get 25% of whatever's recovered and the state gets 75%. And attorney's fees are recoverable under the law. The way it differed from a class action, because class actions, there was a vibrant class action litigation history in California when it, as it pertained to workplace wage and hour cases. It differed from a class action in the sense that this wasn't on behalf of employees for damages, it was on behalf of the state for penalties. So you didn't need to do the things that you normally do to get a class action certified. You didn't have to go through the class certification process and prove that the employees had common claims and that adjudicating them in a class action would be more efficient than adjudicating them individually. So I understand that California, the California Supreme Court, recently issued a new opinion in a case against Uber Technologies. I think it was the Adolph versus Uber Technologies case. What was this case about? Yeah. So anyone who has sort of followed the news in California knows that California has been fertile ground for a lot of lawsuits against gig economy companies, largely because a lot of them are based here in California, but also because the courts are so friendly to employees. And and the big issue that has faced the ride sharing companies is whether the drivers are independent contractors or employees. And that was the issue in the Adolf versus Uber case. It involved a driver who was classified as an independent contractor and thought he should have been classified as an employee and was seeking penalties under PAGA for the alleged misclassification. And so the issue came before ultimately made its way to the California Supreme Court because this particular driver, Eric Adolph, had a class action and a PAGA waiver in an arbitration agreement he signed when he started driving for Uber. And the question was whether that particular class action waiver was enforceable or not in this context. 
in the last several years, I, I think in a post-COVID world, we're all losing track of how many, the U.S. Supreme Court issued some pretty landmark decisions about the use of class action waivers in arbitration agreements. What is the history of arbitration in California with respect to class actions or class action waivers? So it's actually a very long and tortured history. And if you, anyone who follows the Supreme Court's docket on arbitration decisions, many, if not most, of the cases involving arbitration agreements come out of California. California generally has been very hostile to arbitration agreements, and it has its own very peculiar regime of how they enforce or choose not to enforce those agreements. And in 2012, there was a case called AT&T versus Concepcion, which dealt not with an employment issue, but with a standard contract that you would get if you bought an AT&T cell phone. And it had an arbitration agreement that had a class action waiver in it. And the class action waiver was enforced by the Supreme Court in that case. And it said that class, essentially, they said the class actions are incompatible with the purpose of arbitration, which is to have a quick and streamlined process to resolve disputes. And the class actions are necessarily complicated and time consuming, and therefore couldn't be reconciled with the purpose of arbitration. So the Supreme Court found in that case in 2012, that class action waivers and arbitration agreements were unenforceable. And the question then became, well, what about PAGA? Is PAGA a class action? And in 2015, the California Supreme Court decided a case called Iskanian versus CLS Transportation. And in that case, they said PAGA is fundamentally different from a class action and therefore a waiver of the right to litigate a PAGA case would be unenforceable, that you couldn't enforce a PAGA waiver in an arbitration agreement, which to anyone who was paying attention, everyone knew that eventually that issue would make its way to the U.S. Supreme Court. And the U.S. Supreme Court and the California courts tend to have these boxing matches where they always fight about the enforceability of arbitration agreements. And the thing is, is that, I mean, if you want to take this boxing match analogy to its bitter end, the California Supreme Court may win a couple rounds here and there, but ultimately at the end of the day, the U.S. Supreme Court wins the match. They win the fight because the U.S. Supreme Court's decisions are the law of the land. They supersede what the California Supreme Court says. And so this issue of whether PAGA waivers are enforceable made its way up to the U.S. Supreme Court last year in the summer, beginning of the summer of 2022 in a case called Viking River Cruises versus Moriana. And in that case, a majority of the justices on the U.S. Supreme Court said that PAGA waivers were, in fact, enforceable and that if an employee brought a PAGA claim and had a PAGA waiver in an arbitration agreement, the company could force the employee to arbitrate the claim on an individual basis and that afterwards, the non-individual portion of the case, that meaning the portion of the case where the employee was seeking to represent other workers, he would have no standing. That's the legal term. He would have no standing to bring that claim. 
because his claims would have already been adjudicated. And so what was interesting about that case is that was a decision, I think it was seven to two decision in the Supreme Court. But Sonia Sotomayor, who's one of the three liberal justices on the U.S. Supreme Court, wrote a concurring opinion, a very short one. I think it was three or four pages long. And she agreed with everything that was in the majority opinion. But she said, very notably, our opinion depends on our interpretation of state law, of California state law. And we're not the final arbiter. We're not the final decider of what state law was. That's you, California. You can tell us what your law is. So she essentially opened the door for the California Supreme Court to say the U.S. Supreme Court got it wrong, which led us to the decision we're here to talk about today, Holly, which is the Adolf versus Uber case. So I'm guessing, based on that preface, that the California Supreme Court accepted Justice Sotomayor's invitation to evaluate California's law and to determine whether there would be standing in California for a representative action on behalf of others, even if the individual was compelled to arbitration. Is that about where they were headed with this Uber case? Holly, it's almost like you've been a California lawyer your entire (laughs) life. Um, You're exactly right. That's exactly what happened. Now, to be fair, the Adolf versus Uber case had been in the works for a while. And so when Viking River was decided, it was it was teed up perfectly for the California Supreme Court to jump in. And the California Supreme Court came in and said, yeah, in fact, as Justice Sotomayor suggested, you got it totally wrong. And in a remarkable quote from the Adolf versus Uber case, the justice who wrote the opinion said, Because the highest court of each state remains the final arbiter of what is state law, we are not bound by the high court's interpretation of California law. They basically thumbed their nose at the Supreme Court and said, you don't get to tell us what our law is. We'll tell you what our law is. And this decision, the Adolf versus Uber case, it was July 17th. So it was about four weeks ago as we're recording this right now. And, you know, that was a real effort of thumbing their nose at the Supreme Court. So what the California Supreme Court ultimately said, what they ultimately decided was, we are bound by the U.S. Supreme Court's decision that an individual can be forced to arbitrate his claim individually. But even after that happens, or even while it is happening, he can still represent the other employees in court in a PAGA action. He does not lose standing to do that. And that's where the California Supreme Court's decision, in my opinion, really comes into conflict with the U.S. Supreme Court's decision. It's one thing to say You don't get to interpret what our law is. We get to interpret it. It's a completely separate thing to say you recognized in your case that we could not do this. We're going to do it anyways. And that's effectively what they did. And it would seem to me, Dan, just based on our discussion here today and my understanding of PAGA is if the incentive for an individual employee to bring a PAGA claim is 
the percentage of recovery that they can get of the penalties assessed by the state of California or to the state of California, that they're going to be far more interested in their representative claim on behalf of all employees rather than their individual claim, which is going to mean that most of these are just going to stay right where they are in California state court. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I mean, I think that's exactly right. I mean, the truth of the matter is, is that these cases, as a practical matter, are not driven by the employees. They're driven by the plaintiff's attorneys because the plaintiff's attorneys can recover their attorney's fees. And the attorney's fees, like you said, on something like this, where the penalties can be astronomical for a big employer, the penalties can be huge. And if they're taking it on a contingency basis, they can get a huge potential award of attorney's fees. And so these cases, I mean, I can tell you as someone who has at any given point in time, I have five to 10 pocket cases that I'm working on. When we mediate these cases, for example, the plaintiff's lawyers don't even bring the named plaintiff to the mediation. They don't feel like they have to because it's the lawyers who are doing all of the decision making with regard to the case. So you're absolutely right. There's a huge incentive for them to bring these cases. There is not a huge incentive for them to litigate them individually. And in fact, they probably would die off as a practical matter if PAGA non-individual waivers were enforced. No one, no plaintiff's lawyer would be interested in bringing a case for, you know, a few thousand dollars worth of potential penalties, most of which would go to the state anyways. So, Dan, is there any hope for California employers that this issue might be resolved in their favor? What, where do you think this is going next after this quite interesting California Supreme Court decision? Well, Holly, you know, I tend to be a wide-eyed optimist and, you know, I've been accused of being Mary Poppins before. So I always have a positive outlook on life. I think there are a couple reasons for hope here. The first is that I think it is extremely likely that Uber will seek review from the U.S. Supreme Court in this case. And while that's never a sure thing, given the way that the California Supreme Court thumbed their nose at the U.S. Supreme Court, I think it gave the U.S. Supreme Court some extra added incentive to say, no, in fact, we are the Supreme Court. We say what the law of the land is, and you don't get to ignore our rulings. So that's one reason for hope. There are also rumblings, and I don't know how true these are, but there are rumblings that in the next election in 2024, that there will be ballot initiatives that are designed to rein in PAGA. PAGA has been challenged constitutionally, unsuccessfully in California in the past, and it has been the subject of many other legislative efforts to rein it in. And I think they're finally coming to a head because, frankly, the, it was a, a law. I don't even know that it was a well-intentioned law, but it was a law whose major purpose is not being achieved by way of these lawsuits. And all these lawsuits are doing is driving employers out of California unless they really have to be here. And so I think California has finally started to recognize the, you know, the harm that these lawsuits are doing. But to be honest, California is a very worker-friendly state, as you alluded to earlier. And so whether that happens and whether a ballot initiative like that would be successful, 
is entirely speculative. Maybe it will work. Maybe it won't work. I'm sure business groups would give a ton of money to such a ballot initiative, and I'm sure labor unions and workers groups would give a lot of money to fight such an initiative. But we'll just have to wait and see on that. But in the meantime, what I would be most focused on is that at some point in the fall, Uber will likely see file what's called a petition for cert in the U.S. Supreme Court seeking review of the Adolf decision. And it would not surprise me at all if the Supreme Court granted that petition. So given some of this uncertainty, Dan, what should California employers be doing in the meantime? Yeah, that is the number one question, Holly, that I get. First of all, I should back up. The number one question I get is what the heck is PAGA to begin with? The second question I get is, well, what do I do about it now after I've gone through this 20 or 30 minute description of the lay of the land on PAGA? And my feeling is, this is my feeling is that you should still have PAGA waivers in your arbitration agreements, because I think that there's a decent chance that this will get reviewed. And if it does get reviewed, that it'll get reversed. And if you have a PAGA waiver like that, and the Supreme Court made this very clear in the Viking River case, you have to have what's called a severability provision, which basically means that if parts of this agreement are found to be unenforceable, we can basically cross them out. We can cross them out with a pencil and we can enforce the remainder of the agreement. And so that's the real key from my perspective. Continue to have the PAGA waiver in your agreement but have a severability provision consistent with the direction in the Viking River case. Seems like a good piece of practical advice for all California employers and also for them to stay tuned as we wait and see what Uber does this fall and whether they appeal or petition for cert on this recent California Supreme Court decision. That is all the time we have for today. Dan, this has been a really interesting discussion. It's been very helpful in understanding what is, as you've described, is otherwise a very lengthy and in-depth area of law. So I really thank you for your time. And it was such a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you, Holly. It's been my pleasure as well. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in. If you would like to connect with Dan, please click on his bio in the description of this podcast. We also encourage you to reach out to any of our lawyers around the world by selecting Find a Lawyer on the ELA website at ela.law. In addition, you can search the ELA website where you can sign up to receive invitations to our upcoming webinars, download white papers and on-demand content from our online library, or access the ELA's exclusive Global Employer Handbook. You've been listening to Employment Matters, a podcast brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm Holly Goodman, Thanks for listening.